Hello and welcome to the Lazy Book Club podcast, the book club for those who don't want to read or leave the house. My name is Matt Gonzalez. Hey! It's David Cox. <laughs> and I'm Josh Matheson. And this week we're looking at chapter four of The Mysterious Affair at Styles. Mm. Last week, very dramatic. Mrs. Inglethorpe is no more. She has... No, she was. She just was. She, she is no longer. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something really profound and like a, no, give her a eulogy. I thought you were about to, just, yeah, like an epitaph. Yeah. Like, just, like, she yeah. was. That's what she everyone once said at their funeral. They were. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> they are no longer. They were. She has ceased to be. Yes. Indeed. So last week we had Hastings woken up quite abruptly by Lawrence and then Mrs. Inglethorpe was having a fit apparently in her bedroom but all the doors were locked so nobody mm. could have gone in or out they broke the door down and unfortunately she passed away but in a fit of fits and a fit of fits. dr yeah. banana sheen <laughs> turned up <laughs> <laughs> Is that Charlie Sheen? Yeah. Dr. Bowerstein turned up and has basically taken the family doctor aside and said he reckons it was poison. And Hastings also, I think, thinks it's poison as well. And so I think they finished with Hastings asking the family if one, Poirot could come and investigate and two if they town. could do a post a post-mortem <laughs> uh, yes yeah, so i think that yeah the idea was, was <laughs> the thought was we need to investigate this further so let's do a yes. post-mortem can my mate poirot come and have a dig around and then right at the end uh, without anyone else's knowledge as far as i'm aware hastings ran off to the library to get a book, a medical book. Yes. Look up strychnine, strychnine poisoning. poisoning. And he said it yeah. fitted with the symptoms that was presented. I now, tell you look- what's great about this book, mm. right? It's when you, um, when you listen back, uh, which I did, because I feel, I feel like otherwise I'm going to completely lose track yeah. not only of the story, but also what voices I'm doing. It's And the <laughs> characters. Yeah. Look, there's a lot of characters and they're it's not just lot, I, characters. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, and I mean, I mean, a less ma- lazy man would just write a list, but instead, I'll just listen to the podcast back on the bus. <laughs> that's a, I guess that's the bare minimum of being in the lazy book club. Yeah, uh, yeah. I tried to keep it oh, to the yeah. minimum effort while still maintaining a some semblance of professionalism. Anyway, <laughs> uh, listening back, I missed a detail. Well, I didn't really miss a detail, but I didn't pay that much attention to it. And then when I listened to it back, I thought, "Well, oh, this seems like a thing that could okay. be." important later which was the moment where when they were in the bedroom she was having a fit she wasn't quite dead yet Hastings sort of caught Lawrence's eye and he was staring at somewhere near the fireplace and Hastings looked and said oh there was nothing untoward there just the fire dying in the grate and a bunch of small porcelain somethings on the mantelpiece right okay is something there and then I was and then on my, my I was going into speculation mode and I was thinking okay well I so you know. think okay. Santa might have killed her? <laughs> Is yes, that what we're thinking? Escape route. Yeah. Yeah. Or fed her a porcelain doll or something. I, I tell you what, that would make sense. <laughs> they just find those in China. Well, that's what did it. <laughs> because it would make sense because then the door's locked from the inside. Father Christmas just gone back up the chimney. Yeah. Or, you know, he sent an elf who can hide very easily under a bed. So mm-hmm. it's not ruling out, you know, that's all I'm saying. Do you want to just quickly go over our suspects? So I had Lawrence. 
Someone had Mrs. Cavendish, didn't they? That's was I. That, that is I. David, and you I'm, had I'm Cynthia, still on didn't Cynthia you? Murdoch. Yeah. Yeah. So what's making us believe that Lawrence was acting a little bit shifty and was like, oh, was a post-mortem and investigating really necessary? Cynthia mm. apparently slept through the entire thing. Yeah, which it was is like really a little bit Oh, that was, yeah, that was yeah. she came in like, what? Like, yeah. all red and like she was. And like, her room literally connects to, uh, yes. to Emily's. So. And then Mrs. Was Cavendish was being very dramatic, rolling around the wall and clutching True. banisters as she gave her top performance of a damsel in distress. Mm. So, yeah. uh, yeah, there's there's all to play for, I think, and I'm intrigued. And, do- and Doctor, but you know, Booba Stein, Booba Stein, but um, <laughs> sure. the um, happy to be there guy. Yeah, it just, it just uh, happened to be there to be the doctor. Happened to be there at five a.m. in the morning. Yes, Ooh, that was um, weird. I am. I'm really looking forward to this chapter because I'm hoping that Poirot starts to unearth the secrets. Because you know what happens with these things is that like. Everybody's acting shifty, but it's because they've got other things in their life they're trying to keep secret, whether that's yeah. affairs or debt or, you know, some weird obsession or fetish they or hobby. They don't want their thing or... to be uncovered, exactly. even though it's nothing to yeah. do with the murder. Exactly. And yeah. that stuff always ends up coming to light. And I'm really looking forward to finding out everybody's dirt. <laughs> <laughs> Scratch below that surface. Yeah. Exactly. The gossip is what I'm here for. That's it. So we start then. Let's dive in. Oh, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Chapter four. Poirot investigates. The house which the Belgians occupied in the village was quite close to the park gates. One could save time by taking a narrow path through the long grass, which cut off the detours of the winding drive. So I, accordingly, went that way. I had nearly reached the lodge when my attention was arrested by the running figure of a man approaching me. It was Mr. Inglethorpe. Where had he been? How did he intend to explain his absence? He accosted me eagerly. My God, this is this. I choked. <laughs> I'm getting going. Oh my god, there's another one. <laughs> <laughs> They're dropping like flies. Yeah. Is it another that poisoning? That's, like that's the that's the thing that happens. Everyone dies. There's no yeah. there's no such because they all It turns out it was Poirot all along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just wanted to Poir- feel we special. Got, we, we actually were as Poirot as a serial killer. Yeah. They were like, no, oh, we don't want to do that. There are instances like that, though, aren't they, where people like make their own crimes because they're like there was a um a report of a, a fire fighter guy who was the, basically the arsonist who was setting the fires and then going in and uh, is that some kind of hero complex? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He puts them in danger so he can rescue. Yeah. Him. Wow, it's insane. Maybe they insane. needed it for like for their inspection or something. They like had to have some sort of fire. So <laughs> a quota. I think it's just like, the jollies. I think we haven't had enough fires just... this month. <laughs> Maybe you just We're really a budget like down the greasy pole. <laughs> but, oh, I don't get to go down unless there's a fire. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! I said like to a school. Yeah. Wee! <laughs> just loved the pole. That's what it was. Oh, that's, that's wrong. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> My God, this is terrible. My poor wife. I've only just heard. Where have you been? I asked. Denby kept me late last night. 
It was one o'clock before I'd finished. Then I found that I'd forgotten the latch key after all. I didn't want to arouse the household, so Denby gave me a bed. How did you hear the news? I asked. Wilkins knocked Denby up to tell him. My poor Emily. She was so self-sacrificing, such a noble character. She overtaxed her strength. A wave of revulsion swept over me. What a consummate hypocrite the man was. I must hurry on, I said, thankful that he did not ask me whither I was bound. In a few minutes I was knocking at the door of Leastway's cottage. Getting no answer, I repeated my summons impatiently. A window above me was cautiously opened, and Poirot himself looked out. He gave an exclamation of surprise at seeing me. In a few brief words I explained the tragedy that had occurred, and that I wanted his help. "'Wait, my friend, I will let you in, and you shall recount to me the affair whilst I dress.' <laughs> in a few moments he had unbarred the door, and I followed him up to his room. There he installed me in a chair, and I related the whole story, keeping back nothing and omitting no circumstance, however insignificant, whilst he himself made a careful and deliberate toilet. <laughs> what? What does that mean? So much going on that was unnecessary <laughs> there. That If that is a turn of phrase of days gone by. Made what a deliberate toilet. Like, I went to the toilet because I needed the toilet. Like no one has gone to the. Well, yeah, people have gone to the toilet by accident. It reminds, just reminds give... me of it reminds me of little kids in school going, "Miss, miss, can I go for a toilet?" Yeah, rather than, not, "Can not... I go to the toilet?" I don't understand what that means. Oh. Making a hasty toilet means to basically be like after quickly getting dressed or tidying myself up. Oh, is that so the act of dressing or ready. grooming oneself? Yeah, so read it again. Does that if you put that into the paragraph, does that make more sense? Yes. I mean, it's just him getting dressed. I told him of my awakening, of Mrs. Inglethorpe's dying words, of her husband's absence, of the quarrel the day before, of the scrap of conversation between Mary and her mother-in-law that I had overheard, of the former quarrel between Mrs. Inglethorpe and Evelyn Howard, and of the latter's innuendos. I was hardly as clear as I could wish. I repeated myself several times and occasionally had to go back to some detail that I had forgotten. Poirot smiled kindly on me. The mind is confused, huh? Is it not so? Take time, mon ami. Huh? You are <laughs> agitated. You are excited. It is but natural. Huh? Presently, when we are calmer, we will arrange the facts neatly each in its proper place. We will examine and reject. Uh. Those of importance we will put on one side. Those of no importance. Poof! He screwed up his cherub-like face and puffed comically enough. Blow them away. Uh. Well, that's all very well, I objected. But how are you going to decide what is important and what isn't? That always seems the difficulty to me. Poirot shook his head energetically. He was now arranging his moustache with exquisite care. Not so. Voyons. Huh. One fact leads to another. So we continue. Hmm. 
Does the next fit in with that? Huh? A merveille. Good. We can proceed. Huh? This next little fact? No. Ah, that is curious. There is something missing, a link in the chain that is not there. Huh? We examine. Mm. We search. Mm. And that <laughs> little curious fact, that possibly paltry little detail that will not tally, we put it here. Ha! He made an extravagant gesture with his hand. It is significant. It is tremendous. Ah! Yes. <laughs> ah! Poirot shook his forefinger so fiercely at me that I quailed before it. Beware! Peril to the detective who says, It is so small, it does not matter. Huh? It will not agree. I will forget it. Huh? That way lies confusion. Everything matters. Huh? I know. You always told me that. That's why I have gone into all the detail of this thing, whether they seem to me relevant or not. And I am pleased with you. Huh? You have a good memory, and you have given me the facts faithfully. Huh? Of the order in which you present them, I say nothing. Truly, it is deplorable. Huh? But I make allowances. You are upset. To that, I attribute the circumstance that you have omitted one fact of paramount importance. Hmm. What is that? I asked. You have not told me if Mrs. Inglethorpe ate well last night. Huh? I stared at him. Surely the war had affected the little man's brain. He was carefully engaged in brushing his coat before putting it on, and seemed wholly engrossed in the task. I don't remember, I said. And anyway, I, I don't see. You do not see? <laughs> but it is of the first importance. Mm. I can't see why, I said, rather nettled. As far as I can remember, she didn't eat much. She was obviously upset, and it had taken her appetite away. It was only natural. Yes, mm. said Poirot thoughtfully. It was only... Natural. Huh. He opened a drawer and took out a small dispatch case, then turned to me. Now I am ready. Huh. We will proceed to the chateau and study the matters on the spot. Huh. Excuse me, mon ami. You dressed in haste and your tie is on one side. Permit me. Hmm? With a deft gesture, he rearranged it. Ça y est? Huh? Now. Shall we start? Huh? We hurried up the village and turned in at the lodge gates. Poirot stopped for a moment and gazed sorrowfully over the beautiful expanse of park, still glittering with morning dew. So beautiful, so beautiful, and yet the poor family plunged in sorrow, prostrated with grief. Huh? He looked at me keenly as he spoke and I was aware that I reddened under his prolonged gaze. Was the family prostrated by grief? Was the sorrow at Mrs. Inglethorpe's death so great? I realised that there was an emotional lack in the atmosphere. The dead woman had not the gift of commanding love. Her death was a shock and a distress, but she would not be passionately regretted. 
Poirot seemed to follow my thoughts. He nodded his head gravely. No, you are right, huh? he said. It is not as though there was a blood tie. She has been kind and generous to these Cavendishes, but she was not their own mother. Hmm. Blood tells. Always remember that. Blood tells. Huh. Hastings, right at the start, was saying that Mrs. Inglethorpe um, had married into the family while the Hast- Hastings and that lot were so young that they considered her their mother. Her mother, yeah. So it's a bit weird that now they're kind of saying, well, yeah, well, she wasn't really their mother, so that's why no one's really that upset about the whole thing. He's buzzing that someone's dead and he gets to invest. Yeah. He's so excited. I mean, he's not like, oh, he's element. Yeah. awful. I mean, that's, you know, she was such yeah. a lovely person, but obviously I'll come and help. He's like, ah, <laughs> finally, <laughs> could get out of the house of those <laughs> nine other men that I've been put in. <laughs> yeah. Also loving the power move there by Poirot. The old, oh yeah, let me fix your tie. The ultimate kind of like, put you like, below me. Yeah, yeah, you are my sidekick. The official if you don't care about your own you, appearance, how are you supposed to care about the details of the case? I'm in charge. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's also interesting because obviously while Hastings has recounted the evidence, as it were, or what happened, everybody recounts events by their own lens and their own opinions and their own kind of what they think of people. Do you know what I mean? So it'd be interesting to see, obviously none of that evidence that he would have given was necessarily impartial because chances are his tone would have indicated a dislike for Dr. Bowerstein, a dislike for Alfred because he clearly doesn't like them. And a, and a fondness on Mary. Exactly. So it's mm. like you could, it's then not unbiased information. It's not unbiased evidence. Okay. And so it's going to be interesting to see if Poirot can kind of sift through that. Or if he's aware of that. Poirot, I said, I wish you would tell me why you wanted to know if Mrs. Inglethorpe ate well last night. I've been turning it over in my mind and I can't see how it has anything to do with the matter. He was silent for a minute or two as we walked along. But finally, he said, I do not mind telling you, though, as you know, it is not my habit to explain until the end is reached. Hmm? The present contention is that Mrs. Inglethorpe died of strychnine poisoning, presumably administered in her coffee. Huh. Yes. Well, what time was the coffee served? Hmm? About eight o'clock. Therefore, she drank it between then and half past eight. Certainly not much later. Hmm. Well, strychnine is a fairly rapid poison. Its effects would be felt very soon, probably in about an hour. Huh. Yet, in Mrs. Inglethorpe's case, the symptoms did not manifest themselves until five o'clock the next morning. Nine hours! Huh. But a heavy meal, taken at about the same time as the poison, might retard its effects, though hardly to that extent. Still, it is a possibility to be taken into account. Huh. But, according to you, she ate very little for supper. And yet, the symptoms do not develop until early the next morning? Now, that is a curious circumstance, my friend. Something may arise at the autopsy to explain it. 
In the meantime, remember it. As we neared the house, John came out and met us. His face looked weary and haggard. This is a very dreadful business, Monsieur Poirot, he said. Hastings has explained to you that we're anxious for no publicity. I comprehend perfectly. You see, it's only suspicion so far. We have nothing to go on. Precisely. It is a matter of precaution only. John turned to me, taking out his cigarette case and lighting a cigarette as he did so. You know that fellow Inglethorpe is back? Yes, I met him. John flung the match into an adjacent flower bed, a proceeding which was too much for Poirot's feelings. He retrieved it and buried it neatly. (laughs) (laughs) I love how so many of these detectives have OCD tendencies or really kind of anal about... Oh, it's that, that level of everything precision. in its place. It's the job, right? Mm. Like you'd have to, you just have to be. I wonder. I wonder if it's the case for DCIs in real life. Are they very particular yeah. people in other aspects? Mm. Because you, you, if you have to be meticulous ten hours a day, or eight hours a day, then yeah, surely it manifests itself in the same way in other areas of your mm. life and other things. Yeah. It's jolly difficult to know how to treat him. That difficulty will not exist long. Hmm pronounced Poirot quietly. John looked puzzled, not quite understanding the portent of this cryptic saying. He handed the two keys which Dr. Baustein had given him to me. Show Mr. Poirot everything he wants to see. The rooms are locked, huh? asked Poirot. Dr. Baustein considered it advisable. Poirot nodded thoughtfully. Then he is very sure. Well, That simplifies matters for us, huh? We went up together to the room of the tragedy. For convenience, I append a plan of the room and the principal articles of furniture in it. Oh, another little illustration. Oh, we got a picture. (laughs) Got a picture. So this is Mrs. Inglethorpe's bedroom. Large square room. It's got three doors. Door A, door B, and door C. Um, There's wardrobe, chest of drawers, table. There's two windows. Two windows, uh, either side of a dressing table. The bed is on the opposite side of the room to the windows. There's the little table that she overturned. He's marked candle grease on the floor. Fairly straightforward. Big room, mostly. Got some furniture in it. Poirot locked the door on the inside and proceeded to a minute inspection of the room. He darted from one object to the other with the agility of a grasshopper. He's just jumping around the room. (laughs) Just like on a space hopper. (laughs) Again, he's like clearly so excited by the prospect of having to do. Definitely. It's probably his first case since he got kicked out of Belgium. Yeah. I remained by the door, fearing to obliterate any clues. Poirot, however, did not seem grateful to me for my forbearance. What have you, my friend? He cried. That you remain there like... How do I say it? Ah, yes, the stuck pig, huh? I explained that I was afraid of obliterating any footmarks. Footmarks, huh? But what an idea! Ah, there has already been practically an army in the room. Hmm? What footmarks are we likely to find, huh? No, 
come here and aid me in my search. Huh? I will put down my little case until I need it. Mm. He did so on the round table by the window, but it was an ill-advised proceeding, for the top of it being loose, it tilted up and precipitated the dispatch case on the floor. Et voilà un table, cried Poirot. Ah, my friend, one may live in a big house and yet have no comfort. <clears throat> After which piece of moralizing, he resumed his search. A small purple dispatch case with a key in the lock on the writing table engaged his attention for some time. He took out the key from the lock and passed it to me to inspect. I saw nothing peculiar, however. It was an ordinary key of the Yale type, with a bit of twisted wire through the handle. Next, he examined the framework of the door we had broken in, assuring himself that the bolt had really been shot. Then he went to the door opposite, leading to Cynthia's room. That door was also bolted, as I had stated. However, he went to the length of unbolting it, and opening and shutting it several times. This he did with the utmost precaution against making any noise. Suddenly, something in the bolt itself seemed to rivet his attention. He examined it carefully, and then, nimbly whipping out a pair of small forceps from his case, he drew out some minute particle, which he carefully sealed up in a tiny envelope. On the chest of drawers, there was a tray with a spirit lamp and a small saucepan on it. A small quantity of a dark fluid remained in the saucepan, and an empty cup and saucer that had been drunk out of stood near it. I wondered how I could have been so unobservant as to overlook this. Here was a clue worth having. Poirot delicately dipped his finger into the liquid and tasted it gingerly. He made a grimace. Coco, with, I think, rum in it. Mm. He passed on to the debris on the floor, where the table by the bed had been overturned. A reading lamp, some books, matches, a bunch of keys, and the crushed fragments of a coffee cup lay scattered about. Ah, this is curious, huh, said Poirot. I must confess that I see nothing particularly curious about it. You do not? Huh? Observe the lamp. The chimney is broken in two places. They lie there as they fell. But see, the coffee cup is absolutely smashed to powder. Huh? Well, I said wearily, I suppose someone must have stepped on it. Exactly, said Poirot in an odd voice. Someone stepped on it. Huh. He rose from his knees and walked slowly across to the mantelpiece, where he stood abstractedly fingering the ornaments and straightening them, a trick of his when he was agitated. Mon ami, he said, turning to me, somebody stepped on that cup, grinding it to powder, and the reason they did so was either because it contained strychnine or which is far more serious, because it did not contain strychnine. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. So, <laughs> how do you find out Ooh. if it 
A clue! It either does or does not contain poison. <laughs> Schrodinger's cat, basically. Yeah. yeah. I've just surrendered myself to the fact that he's cleverer than I am and I'm never going to figure it out. <laughs> mm. I made no reply. I was bewildered, but I knew that it was no good asking him to explain. In a moment or two, he roused himself and went on with his investigations. He picked up the bunch of keys from the floor and twirling them round in his fingers, finally selected one, very bright and shining, which he tried in the lock of the purple dispatch case. It fitted, and he opened the box, but after a moment's hesitation, closed and relocked it, and slipped the bunch of keys, as well as the key that had originally stood in the lock, into his own pocket. I have no authority to go through these papers, but it should be done. At once, huh? Then he made a very careful examination of the drawers of the washstand. Crossing the room to the left-hand window, a round stain, hardly visible on the dark brown carpet, seemed to interest him particularly. He went down on his knees, examining it minutely, even going so far as to smell it. Finally, he poured a few drops of the cocoa into a test tube, sealing it up carefully. His next proceeding was to take out a little notebook. We have found in this room, he said, writing busily, six points of interest. Huh. Shall I enumerate them, or will you? Huh? Oh, uh, you, I replied hastily. Very well, then. Huh. One, a coffee cup that has been ground into powder. Two, A dispatch case with a key in the lock. Three, a stain on the floor. Hmm? That may have been done some time ago, I interrupted. No, for it is still perceptibly damp and smells of coffee. Hmm? Four, a fragment of some dark green fabric, only a thread or two, but recognizable. Huh? Ah, I cried. That was what you sealed up in the envelope. Yes. It may turn out to be a piece of one of Mrs. Inglethorpe's own dresses. And quite unimportant. We shall see. Five. This. With a dramatic gesture, he pointed to a large splash of candle grease on the floor by the writing table. It must have been done since yesterday. Otherwise, a good housemaid would have at once removed it with blotting paper and a hot iron. One of my best hats once, but that is not the point. It was very likely done last night. We were very agitated. Or perhaps Mrs. Inglethorpe herself dropped her candle. You brought only one candle into the room? Hmm? Yes, Lawrence Cavendish was carrying it, but he was very upset. He seemed to see something over there. I indicated the mantelpiece that absolutely paralysed him. That is interesting, Hmm? said Poirot quickly. Yes, it is suggestive. His eye sweeping the whole length of the wall. But it was not his candle that made this great patch. For you perceive that this is white grease, whereas Monsieur Lawrence's candle, which is still on the dressing table, is pink. On the other hand, Mrs. Inglethorpe had no candlestick in the room, only a reading lamp. Huh. 
Then, I said, what do you deduce? To which my friend only made a rather irritating reply, urging me to use my own natural faculties. (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) It's like it's some kind of exam, and he's like, stop copying my answers. Work out yourself. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Hello, come on now. (laughs) Miss, he's copying me. (laughs) He must feel so inadequate at this point. It's just like, oh, yeah. I love that though. We're just like, no, I'm not going to tell you what's going on. Figure it out yourself, idiot. <laughs> but also the, the classic, like he's clearly completely in awe of this guy's abilities, but at the same time, feels like an absolute dunce every time he's mm. with him. Yeah, yeah, he's been there the whole time and and garnered way less information than a guy yeah. who's been in there five seconds. And the guy, and he was the guy who actually witnessed the death happen as well, and he's got less of an yeah. idea as to what happened. Yeah, sure. yeah. And the sixth point, I asked. I suppose it is the sample of cocoa. No, said Poirot thoughtfully. I might have included that in the six, but I did not. Huh. No, the six point I will keep to myself for the present. Hmm. He looked quickly round the room. There is nothing more to be done here, I think. Unless... He stared earnestly and long at the dead ashes in the grate. The fire burns, and it destroys. Huh. But by chance, there might be... Let us see. Huh? Deftly, on hands and knees, he began to sort the ashes from the grate into the fender, handling them with the greatest caution. Suddenly, he gave a faint exclamation. The forceps! A stings, huh? I quickly handed them to him, and with skill he extracted a small piece of half-charred paper. There, mon ami! Huh? He cried. What do you think of that? I scrutinized the fragment. This is an exact reproduction of it. Oh, there's a picture! So this little scrap of paper, there's a little diagram of it in the book, looks to me like two lowercase l's but sort of in cursive so joined together with that kind of loopy l and then the word and is really quite clear so it looks like a word ending with a double l and then the word and Mm. i wonder if this is meant to be because obviously if lawrence glanced at the fireplace and it had a moment of panic maybe he saw the document hadn't quite burnt yet Oh, and everyone yeah. had come in the room and maybe he was hoping no one would look at the fireplace and see the letter was still burning and had yeah. been quite destroyed. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And that, that's my guess. Or it's the case that he saw it burning and was like, oh, that's worrying. Someone's been obviously, maybe mum's burnt something. Or do you know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily mean he's the guilty one, but maybe that's what he saw when he looked at the fireplace. Do you want to have a very, very quick guess of uh, a, a phrase where one word ends in a double L and the next word starts with and? Bill and Ben. That's <laughs> right, going for Bill <laughs> and Ben. Um, I'm going to go for Will and Testament. That was Ooh, what I was going to say. That's a good one, actually. Yeah, I think Will that's more Testament. likely than Bill and Ben. All right. Just to make it interesting, I'll go for Will and Grace. <laughs> no, it was an original script signed by the cast. <laughs> it was worth hundreds. 
Maybe that's it. Oh, because Lawrence is a writer. Maybe he wrote it and maybe he gave he's it to his mum. was like, will you find that my project? And she burnt it. And that's why he's upset. He doesn't have another <laughs> copy of it. He didn't return it. went, not to me. She burnt it. Yeah. He's like, that <laughs> was my be- only copy. I was going to send it to the BBC. I was puzzled. It was unusually thick, quite like ordinary note paper. Suddenly, an idea struck me. Poirot, I cried. This is a fragment of a will. Oh, there you go. Well done. Well done. David, there you go. I looked up at him sharply. Are you not surprised? No, he said gravely. I expected it. Huh. I relinquished the piece of paper and watched him put it away in his case with the same methodical care that he bestowed on everything. My brain was in a whirl. What was this complication of a will? Who had destroyed it? The person who had left the candle grease on the floor? Obviously. But how had anyone gained admission? All the doors had been bolted on the inside. Now, my friend, said Poirot briskly, we will go. Hmm. I should like to ask a few questions of the parlour maid. Dorcas, her name is, is it not? Huh? We passed through Alfred Inglethorpe's room, and Poirot delayed long enough to make a brief but fairly comprehensive examination of it. We went out through that door, locking both it and that of Mrs. Inglethorpe's room as before. I took him down to the boudoir, which he had expressed a wish to see, and went myself in search of Dorcas. When I returned with her, however, the boudoir was empty. Poirot, I cried, where are you? I am here, my friend. He had stepped outside the French window, and was standing, apparently lost in admiration, before the various shaped flower beds. Admirable, he murmured. Admirable. What symmetry! Observe that crescent and those diamonds. Their neatness rejoices the eye. The spacing of the plants also so perfect. It has been recently done, is it not so? Uh, Yes, I believe they were at it yesterday afternoon. But come in, Dorcas is here. Ah, bien, bien. Do not grudge me a moment's satisfaction of the eye, huh? Yes, but this affair is more important. And how do you know that these fine begonias are not of equal importance, huh? I shrugged my shoulders. There was really no arguing with him, if he chose to take that line. You do not agree? But such things have been, hmm? Well, we will come in and interview the brave Dorcas. Dorcas was standing in the boudoir, her hands folded in front of her, and her grey hair rose in stiff waves under her white cap. She was the very model and picture of a good old-fashioned servant. In her attitude towards Poirot, she was inclined to be suspicious, but he soon broke down her defences. He drew forward a chair. Pray be settled, mademoiselle. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dorcas. 
that voice suits this situation now where this like person who's used to being in the background and like whose job (laughs) is to be unnoticed is suddenly now this person who's got a spotlight on them because they want to know what's going on so that i mean that fits perfectly i love it it's so good another fine choice there stanley Mm. well it fits this moment not so much the moment of panic earlier when it was like them trying to break the door down (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just like why aren't you more eager yeah. <laughs> um, oh, um, yeah you have been with your mistress many years is it not so hmm? yeah. T- 10 years sir that is a very long time and very faithful service huh? you were much attached to her were you not huh? she, she was a very good mistress to me sir then you will not object to answering a few questions huh I put them to you with Mr. Cavendish's full approval. Huh. Oh, 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 certainly, sir. Then I will begin by asking you about the events of yesterday afternoon. Your mistress had a quarrel. Huh? No, y- y- yes, sir. But, but, but I, I, I don't know that I, I ought... Dorcas hesitated. Poirot looked at her keenly. My good Dorcas... It is necessary that I should know every detail of that quarrel as fully as possible. Do not think that you are betraying your mistress's secrets. Your mistress lies dead, and it is necessary that we should know all if we are to avenge her. Nothing can bring her back to life, but we do hope, if there has been foul play, to bring the murderer to justice. Amen to that, said Dorcas, <laughs> fiercely. Very sassy. Yeah, she's getting <laughs> fierce. She's getting fierce. That's as fierce as she gets, okay? And adding no names, there's one in this house that none of us could ever abide. And an ill day it was when first he darkened the threshold. Poirot waited for her indignation to subside. And then, resuming his business-like tone, he asked, Now, as to this quarrel, was it the first you heard of it? Well, well, sir, I I happened to be going along the hall outside yesterday. What time was that? I I couldn't say exactly, sir, but but, but it wasn't tea time by a long way. Perhaps four o'clock, or or it may have been a bit later. Well, sir... As I said, I happened to be passing along when I heard voices very loud and angry in in here. Uh, I didn't exactly mean to listen, but well, there there it is. Uh, I stopped. The, the the door was shut, but the mistress was speaking very sharp and and clear. And and, and I heard that she said quite plainly, "You have lied to me and deceived me." She said, "I didn't hear what Mister Inglethorpe replied." He spoke a good bit lower than she did, but 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 she, but she answered, "How dare you! I, I have kept you and clothed you and fed you. You owe everything to me, and this is how you repay me uh, by bringing uh, disgrace upon our name." Uh, again, I did I didn't hear what he said, but but she went on, "Nothing that you can say will make any difference. Uh, I I see my duty clearly. My mind is made up. You you need not think that any fear of." publicity or, or scandal between husband and wife will deter me. Then I thought I heard them coming out, so I went off quickly. You're sure that it was Mr. Inglethorpe's voice that you were, no? Oh, 
oh, oh, oh yes, yes, sir. Who, whose else could it be? Well, what happened next, huh? Later, I came back to the hall, but but it was all quiet. At five o'clock, Mrs. Inglethorpe rang the bell and, and told me to bring her a cup of tea, nothing to eat, to the boudoir. She, she was looking dreadful, so white and, and upset. Dorcas, she said, I've had a great shock. I'm sorry for that, ma'am, I, I said. You'll feel better after a nice hot cup of tea. Hmm? She had something in her hand. I don't know if it was a letter or, or just a piece of paper, but it, it had writing on it, and she kept staring at it, almost as if she couldn't believe what was written there. She whispered to herself, as, as though she'd forgotten I was there, these few words, and everything's changed. And then she said to me, Never trust a man, Dorcas. They're not worth it. I hurried I hurried off and, and got her a good strong cup of tea, and, and, and she thanked me, and she said she'd feel better when she'd drunk it. I don't know what to do, she said. Scandal between husband and wife is a dreadful thing, Dorcas. I'd rather hush it up if I could. Mrs. Cavendish came in then, so she didn't say any more. She still had the letter, or whatever it was, in her hand, huh? Y yes, sir. What would she be likely to do with it afterwards? Uh, well, I, I don't know, sir. I expect she would lock it up in that purple case of hers. Is that where she usually kept important papers? Y yes, sir. She, she brought it down with her every morning and, and took it up every, every night. When did she lose the key of it? Huh? She missed it yesterday at lunchtime, sir, and, and told me to look carefully for it. She was very much put out about it. But she had a duplicate key? Hmm? Oh, y yes, sir. Dorcas was looking very curiously at him. And to tell the truth, so was I. What was all this about a lost key? Poirot smiled. Never mind, Dorcas, it is my business to know things, huh? Is this the key that was lost, huh? He drew from his pocket the key that he had found in the lock of the dispatch case upstairs. Dorcas's eyes looked as though they would pop out of her head. Oh, that's it, sir, right enough. But where did you find it? I looked everywhere for it. Ah, but you see, it was not in the same place yesterday as it was today. Huh? Now, to pass to another subject. Had your mistress a dark green dress in her wardrobe? Huh? Dorcas was rather startled by the unexpected question. N no, sir. Are you quite sure? Oh, um, yes, sir. Has anyone else in the house got a green dress, huh? Dorcas reflected. Um, Miss Cynthia has a green evening dress. Light green or dark green, hmm? Uh, a light green, sir. A sort of uh, sh chiffon, they call it. Ah, uh, that is not what I want. And nobody else has anything green, hmm? No, sir, not that I know of. Poirot's face did not betray a trace of whether he was disappointed or otherwise. He merely remarked, Good, we will leave that and pass on. Have you any reason to believe that your mistress was likely to take a sleeping powder last night, huh? No, not last night, sir. I, I know she didn't. Why do you know so positively? B because the box was empty. 
She took the last one two days ago, and she didn't have any more made up. Are you quite sure of that? Huh? Positive, sir. Then that is cleared up, huh? By the way, your mistress didn't ask you to sign any paper yesterday, hmm? To sign a paper? No, no, sir. When Mr. Hastings and Mr. Lawrence came in yesterday evening, they found your mistress busy writing letters. Hmm. I suppose you can give me no idea to whom these letters were addressed, huh? I'm afraid I couldn't, sir. I, I was out in the evening. Perhaps Annie could tell you, though, though she's a, a careless girl, never cleared the coffee cups away last night. That that's what happens when I'm not here to look after things. Poirot lifted his hand. Since they have been left, Dorcas, leave them a little longer. I pray you, I should like to examine them. Hmm? Very well, sir. What time did you go out last evening? Hmm? Uh, about six o'clock, sir. Thank you, Dorcas. That is all I have to ask you. Hmm? He rose and strolled to the window. I have been admiring these flower beds. Hmm? How many gardeners are employed here, by the way? Hmm? Only three now, sir. Five we had before the war, when it was kept as a gentleman's place should be. I only wish you could have seen it then, sir. A fair sight it was. But now there's only old Manning and young William and a new-fashioned woman gardener in breeches and such like. Oh, these are dreadful times. The good times will come again, Dorcas. At least, we hope so. Hmm. Now, will you send Annie to me here? Um, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. How did you know that Mrs. Inglethorpe took sleeping powders? I asked, in lively curiosity, as Dorcas left the room. And about the lost key and the duplicate? One thing at a time, hmm? As to the sleeping powders, I knew by this. He suddenly produced a small cardboard box, such as chemists use for powders. Where did you find it? In the washstand drawer in Mrs. Inglethorpe's bedroom. It was number six of my catalogue. Huh. But I suppose as the last powder was taken two days ago, it's not of much importance. Probably not. But do you notice anything that strikes you as peculiar about this box? Huh? I examined it closely. Um, no, I, I can't say that I do. Look at the label. I read the label carefully. One powder to be taken at bedtime, if required. Mrs. Inglethorpe. No, I see nothing unusual. Not the fact that there is no chemist's name? Hmm? Ah! I exclaimed. Well, to be sure, that is odd. Have you ever known a chemist to send out a box like that without his printed name? Hmm? No, I can't say that I have. I was becoming quite excited, but Poirot dampened my ardour by remarking, Yet the explanation is quite simple. So do not intrigue yourself, my friend. Hmm? Do you think he's asking about the powder because he wonders if that's how the poison was slipped in? Because obviously if she's taking sleeping powder, she would have taken that right before bed because the timeline for the coffee doesn't make sense. So hence is, the reason uh, why we're looking at the cocoa. And That's true. Is, is strychnine in powder form? I don't know enough about it. I have no idea. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming most poisons probably come in different forms, depending. If it, if it turns out that this whole murder was done by nibs, 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 I will just be so. <laughs> happy. 
oh yes because you're basically <laughs> saying yeah the chemist hasn't put the name down we know somebody who works in the dispensary cynthia so it's like so someone's been prescribing the lady drugs without putting their own name on it I mean, it could be just as straightforward as, oh, well, Cynthia did it. And she's like, oh, it's kind of, I know who it's for. So I'll just, you know, do it quickly. Well, that's probably why he's saying, don't get excited. It's got a simple explanation. Yeah. It's yeah, not as sinister as you think. Oh, they'll never know if I don't put my name on, even though I'm the main chemist that she knows. Mm. It's not going to be yeah. like, well, well, it can't, it, I did it, but luckily I didn't sign it. So that's fine. Like you'd still get, you'd still mm. definitely get found out quite quickly. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sounds well too obvious. I find it interesting that with Dorcas' recount of the argument, she never once actually heard um, Alfred's voice. So it could it have been someone else. Yeah, so when he was like, oh, are you definitely sure it was Alfred? And she's like, well, I think so because of the subject matter. But we know of other marriages that are currently in trouble, as it were, or mm-hmm. other things that are going on. So I don't know. Maybe it's John. Maybe it's... Could be Bowsley. Yeah. Or, yeah, who knows? So it's it's in it, it, there's definitely a few more seeds of doubt being kind of thrown in there. I feel like there's her. too many clues in this chapter, and I'm not it's I'm not true. taking enough time. The garden to as well. Yeah. When he went out to the garden, it was like amazing, diamond clear. You're like, huh? What? Yeah, and it's kind of like, oh, these ones have just been done, and they're the ones that are the nearest to the house by the boudoir. So maybe somebody climbed through. Oh, actually, the key went missing. The key went missing, and then turned up in her bedroom in the box in the box didn't it so and she said that she takes it from the bedroom to the boudoir boudoir back to the bedroom every day so if somebody stole the key during the day but she said it went missing they would have had to have taken it from the boudoir which means they probably climbed through the window and went in the flower bed what deduction and they left it in the room (laughs) yeah (laughs) my word who needs pyro yeah so i think that explains how the key went missing so he's obviously going right someone stole the key so that they could steal the papers later and that's why it was missing the day before yes yes so that well that's where my money is anyway we'll find out (laughs) an audible creaking proclaimed the approach of annie so i had no time to reply annie was a fine strapping girl and was evidently laboring under intense excitement mingled with a certain ghoulish enjoyment of the tragedy. Poirot came to the point at once with a business-like briskness. I sent for you, Annie, because I thought you might be able to tell me something about the letters Mrs. Ingleside wrote last night, huh? How many were there? And can you tell me any of the names and addresses, huh? Annie considered. Does she talk? I'm gonna lie, I jumped in quite early because I was like, I bet you she talks. She considered, um, and then she replies to his... We make her Annie from, like, the 1982 film Annie. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Gee, golly, mister. The sun will yeah. come out. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Bet your bottom. Yeah, like, slightly sort of, like... Can you I that? was kind of thinking that because she's obviously very excited about this, that, that kind of really chirpy but i think i think if can we can we lean towards the bratty side of it like she's a bit of a brat like she's annoying yeah. rather than like yeah. rather than like cutesy <laughs> girl yeah no but, but yeah. not like bratty is in nasally but like but everything's kind of got like a bit like eh, it's kind more, of like, it's more yeah. like the other girls in the orphanage isn't it it's yes the, probably uh, yeah it's a hard knock life yeah annie considered 
There were four letters, sir. One was to Miss Howard, and one was to Mr. Wells, the lawyer. And the other two, I don't think I can remember, sir. Oh, yes. One was to Ross's, the caterer's in <laughs> Tedminster. And the other one, I don't remember. Think, urged Poirot. Annie racked her brains in vain. I'm sorry, sir, but it's clean gone. I, I don't think I can have noticed it. Uh, it does not matter, said Poirot, not betraying any sign of disappointment. Now, I want to ask you about something else. There is a saucepan in Mrs. Inglethorpe's room with some cocoa in it. Did she have that every night? Hmm? Uh, yes, sir. It was put in the room every evening, and she uh, warmed it up in the night whenever she fancied it. What was it? Plain cocoa? Hmm? Yes, sir. She made it with milk, uh, with a teaspoon of sugar, and two teaspoonfuls of rum in it. <laughs> That's not plain. That's what an alcoholic <laughs> tells themselves is a plain cocoa. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Who took it to her room? Hmm? I did, sir. Always? Yes, sir. At what time? When I went to draw the curtains as a rule, sir. Did you bring it straight up from the kitchen then? No, sir. You see, there's not much room on the gas stove. So Cook used to make it up early before putting the vegetables on for supper. Then I used to bring it up and put it on the table by the swing door and, and take it into her room later. The swing door is in the left wing, is it not? Yes, sir. And the table, it is on this side of the door or on the father, servant side? Huh? It's uh, this side, sir. What time did you bring it up last night? Huh? About a quarter past seven, I should say, sir. And when did you take it into Mrs. Inglethorpe's room? Hmm? When I went to shut up, sir, about eight o'clock, uh, Mrs. Inglethorpe came up to bed before I finished. Then between 7.15 and 8 o'clock, the cocoa was standing on the table in the left wing. Hmm? Yes, sir. Annie had been growing redder and redder in the face, and now she blurted out unexpectedly. And, and if there was salt, sir, uh, salt in it, sir, it, it wasn't me. I never took the salt near it. What makes you think there was salt in it? asked Poirot. Seen it on the tray, sir. You saw some salt on the tray? Yes, coarse kitchen salt, it looked. I, I never noticed it when I took the tray up, but uh, when I came to take it into the mistress's room, I saw it all at once, uh, and I suppose I ought to have taken it down again and, and asked Cook to make some fresh, but I was in a hurry because Dorcas was out, and I thought maybe the cocoa itself was all right and the salt had only gone on the tray, so I dusted it off with my apron and took it in. I had the utmost difficulty in controlling my excitement. Unknown to herself, Annie had provided us with an important piece of evidence. How she would have gaped if she had realised that her coarse kitchen salt was strychnine, one of the most deadly poisons known to mankind. I just think whoever the poisoner is is so careless at this point. It's just like, I'll just put it in there for later. Well, I read an article actually in Indonesia, like some lady poisoned a 10-year-old by mistake because she put 
poison on a meal that was meant to be delivered to somebody that she actually wanted to die and then the person didn't eat it so the family who of the butler or whatever took it home and their kid ate it and they died i know how horrible this is like poison's just like too many variables because who knows if the person who you actually intend to eat it is going to eat it that's it you've got to be in the room i think i mean Mm. just don't kill people that's probably the answer right oh yeah yeah <laughs> oh yeah, that. particularly just to get some inheritance or just to get over a, like a, a, a quabble or something. Yeah, yeah I think the best solution no. is the is the thing is the take from this mm. book. Uh, yeah, I marvelled at Poirot's calm. His self control was astonishing. I awaited his next question with impatience, but it disappointed me. When you went into Mrs. Inglethorpe's room. Was the door leading into Miss Cynthia's room bolted? Hmm? Oh, yes, sir. It always was. It has never been opened. And the door into Mr. Inglethorpe's room. Did you notice if that was bolted too? Annie hesitated. I couldn't rightly say, sir. It was shut, but I I couldn't say whether it was bolted or not. When you finally left the room, did Mrs. Inglethorpe bolt the door after you? Hmm? No, sir, not then, but I expect she did later. She usually did lock it at night. The door into the passage, that is. Did you notice any candle grease on the floor when you did the room yesterday? Hmm? Candle grease? Oh, no, sir, Mrs. Inglethorpe didn't have a candle, only a reading lamp. Then, if there had been a large patch of candle grease on the floor, you think you would have been sure to have seen it, hmm? Yes, sir. I I would have taken it out with a a piece of blotting paper and a hard iron. Then Poirot repeated the question he had put to Dorcas. Did your mistress ever have a green dress? No, sir. Nor a mantle, nor a cape, nor a, uh, how do you call it, a a, a sports coat? Not green, sir. Nor anyone else in the house. hmm? Annie reflected. No, sir. You're sure of that? Hmm? Quite sure. Bien. That is all I wanted to know. Thank you very much. Hmm. With a nervous giggle, Annie took herself creakingly out of the room. My pent-up excitement burst forth. Poirot, I cried. I congratulate you. That is a great discovery. What is a great discovery? Hmm? Why, that it was the cocoa and not the coffee that was poisoned. That explains everything. Of course it did not take effect until early morning, since the cocoa was only drunk in the middle of the night. So, you think that the cocoa, mark well what I say, Hastings, the cocoa contains strychnine? Of course. The salt on the tray, what else could it have been? It might have been salt, replied Poirot (laughs) placidly. I shrugged my shoulders. If he was going to take the matter that way, it was no good arguing with him. The idea crossed my mind, not for the first time, that poor old Poirot was growing old. Privately, I thought it lucky that he had associated him with someone of a more receptive type of mind. (laughs) So is he actually looking at Poirot going, you idiot, I've solved it and you're downplaying it? Come on now, Poirot, you're getting on a bit, aren't you? I think I've I've pretty much stopped there at this stage. (laughs) It's just way too obvious, isn't it? It's almost as if Hastings doesn't know he's in a murder mystery novel. <laughs> no. <laughs> They're a red herring. 
Poirot was surveying me with quietly twinkling eyes. You are not pleased with me, mon ami, hm? My dear Poirot, I said coldly, it is not for me to dictate to you. You have a right to your opinion just as I have to mine. A most admirable sentiment, remarked Poirot, rising briskly to his feet. Now, I have finished with this room. By the way, whose was the smaller desk in the corner? Mr. Inglethorpe's. Ah! He tried the roll-top tentatively. Locked. But perhaps one of Mrs. Inglethorpe's keys would open it, hmm? He tried several, twisting and turning them with a practised hand, and finally uttering an ejaculation of satisfaction. <laughs> what is it, Mr. Arouse? <laughs> I'm sorry, but the word that word is not acceptable in any context at all. Because we only start like I understand arouse can have um to arouse suspicion can have definitely ejaculate. I only know to have one (laughs) thing. Never anything but unless there's a northern guy called Jack and he's he's arrived later than he should do. Ejaculate. It's the only other oh, time. Oh dear, it's such a good sentence. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. And the fact that it's of satisfaction as well. I, I mean, know. Yeah. Sex face yep. Poirot, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Cross, a cross-eyed egg moustache monster. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, wants, nobody wants that thought in their heads. <laughs> Voila! Huh? It is not the key, but it will open. At a pinch. <clears throat> he slid back the roll-top and ran a rapid eye over the neatly filed papers. To my surprise, he did not examine them, merely remarking approvingly as he relocked the desk. Decidedly, he is a man of method, Mr. Inglethorpe. <clears throat> a man of method was, in Poirot's estimation, the highest praise that could be bestowed on any individual. <laughs> I felt that my friend was not what he had been as he rambled on disconnectedly. There were no stamps in his desk, but there might have been, eh, mon ami? Hmm? There might have been. Yes. His eyes wandered round the room. This boudoir has nothing more to tell us. It did not yield much. Only this. Hmm. He pulled a crumpled envelope out of his pocket and tossed it over to me. It was rather a curious document, a plain, dirty-looking old envelope with a few words scrawled across it, apparently at random. The following is a facsimile of it. Another picture. It looks like it says, Possessed? I am possessed. He is possessed. I am possessed. Possessed. Is that some, like, weird rubbish poetry? (laughs) <laughs> performed at like some open mic night with like yeah. someone in like a downturn possessed yeah. <laughs> I am possessed I'm loving the feeling he is that. possessed <laughs> and then the light goes and then they blow out a candle and everyone's like and everyone else is like I don't get it <laughs> that's like art, art noir and everyone's like you can imagine like going to a night and, and everyone else in the audience is like oh yeah that's really good and you're going like what, what am I missing? I don't understand. <laughs> it's either that or it's some or it's some high-end perfume advert, like yeah. Oh, I am possessed. 
pour homme. Peut-être. Pour homme. Pour toilette. I totally buy that. And the second one, it does say I am possessed. So for a second, I thought it said 2 a.m. possessed. Just the eye in that one is different to the other eye, which. Oh, yeah, no, it does at 2 a.m. It does look like a 2. I don't think it is, but I just thought it was worth pointing out. And maybe it's just like a cursive e kind of thing, yeah. Maybe. Anyway, that's the end of the chapter. Oh! <laughs> oh. That was all it was. Facsimile. We, en- we ended with the facsimile. Mm. I think what this chapter has highlighted more than anything is that there must have been foul play because there's obviously things that have moved or appeared in the room that weren't there when she went to bed alone or before she went to bed. Stuff's been added, yeah. Like the candle wax on the floor. So you're like, well, somebody must have been in there then because she didn't have a candle. The key going missing and then appearing in her bedroom when everyone had looked for it. If you knew that someone moved this box between two rooms, those are the two rooms that you would go and look for the key in. So for the key to appear in that room, you'd go, well, I would have seen that. Yeah. So that's a mistake. But I'm then trying to think of things that the uh, murderer would do to cover up their tracks and things that are just um, careless. And those are like two different actions you have to look out for. So I'm wondering if some, some, what's staged and what's not. Mm. But then also it could be the case that maybe somebody got interrupted as well. Maybe they were on Dorcas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe because like, it was five uh, a.m. The servants might have been getting up and starting to cook breakfast. Because I guess get we'll, the get, house to ready pick, by we'll then. get to we'll get to build up like a twelve-hour perhaps time frame. At the moment, we've only got maybe like seven fifteen to eight, mm-hmm. and then her going to bedtime, and then obviously the actual event itself. And obviously, we need to go. Oh, and then I went up to the room, and then that, and then I heard the noise at that time, and then I guess once we know that, then it will be a bit easier. Yeah. Oh well, I mean, Poirot is definitely showing himself to be very thorough, and mm. obviously operating as we often uh, expect with these detectives on a slightly higher mental field than the people around him. To the point where he's asking questions which the other person thinks is irrelevant, even but he's already deduced and moved on, and he's still going, "Oh wait, that was significant. That was that was the it. That was it. We've got him." And he's like, "But it could just be salt." It doesn't necessarily mean it was the poison or anything. So we've definitely highlighted at least the motive. It's obviously money related. The wheel's definitely significant. I'm just trying to review all of the many, many clues. Mm, Quite a lot of them. Some of them he seems to think are really neither here nor there, but it seems to be like this presented a lot of stuff. So like this this green thread seems important. Mm. And I'm Mm. thinking, okay, well, if both Dorcas and Annie, presumably it's not a huge, huge staff at this house. It's not like everybody has their own sort of valet or ladies maid. Yeah. Um, So I'm thinking, I'm pretty confident that then it's nobody that lives there that owns this green garment. And would they, they'd go, go, oh, so-and-so was wearing a green dress last night. And it probably would have been, um, and he would have known it as well, I think. So, Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would have been very and then obvious. The flower bed business, which Matt sort of went into a little bit already. Um, yeah. Well, that's my that's my hypothesis. We'll find out if I'm correct. Well, he's yeah. certainly. I think he's certainly going to go into it um, a little bit more. It's gonna it's gonna come up again. Mm. Yeah, the crushed the crushed cup as well. Yes. Oh yeah. 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 And he went on the oh the Schrodinger's cup. cup. Yeah, we're going to start calling it. Yeah. Oh, it is getting very interesting. 
Yeah, it's hot. It's hotting up. Yeah, yeah. You find yourself just like rather than li- rather than listening to the next bit, you're going, "Why is that?" And it, that's yeah. that's I guess the good thing about it. Oh, you start to become yeah. a good writer like... makes you become, become the detective yourself. That's why yeah. they can't just go. It's because of this. They have yeah. to be yeah. like a normal detective would probably go. Well, the reason I think this is because of this. Like it, it probably wouldn't actually be useful working practice to like keep everything up your sleeve with the person yeah. you're working with. But, um, but maybe he, th- yeah, maybe in her in Poirot's, he's not going to tell this guy anything because he's like, well, you were there. I'm not ruling you out. Um, yeah. Well, there's that because obviously anyone who was in the house is a suspect. Yeah. But then also yeah. it could be the case that he's the, the Hastings has already proven himself to get excited or maybe perhaps slightly misguided by certain pieces of evidence and not others. So maybe Poirot's deciding not to divulge everything because he's almost worried that this person might bias it or make him think something's more significant than it actually is consciously filtering it yeah yeah so maybe that's why he's acting very measured and it's like every clue is as important as the last one almost rather than anything being more significant than anything else yeah so everybody happy still with their suspects at the end of that i wouldn't I mean, say necessarily I've no evidence out, did it. it so as yet mary's not been dragged into it but she could be i think mm. cynthia definitely seems like if that door was never open like that bolted door between them has never normally opened. Then why was, was there, there a thread a in it? Thread in it, and the prescription mm. business, the prescription, the prescription stuff. Yeah, but that was brought up. Mm. Um, and my, the only oh, thing yeah. going for my one, Miss Cavendish, is that she's not been mentioned yet. So, well, um, Mrs. So... Cavendish entered directly after the argument, straight after the mm. argument. So she was around when everything was kicking off. And as you said, there's no definite that it was Alfred in the argument with her and it was about marriage and Mrs. Cavendish and Mr. Cavendish are the only other married couple in this. So if it means that Alfred isn't in the argument, then that means that argument was about their marriage. And she could be going, you guys are dragging us into some kind of scandal or I'm not happy with the way that you're behaving. So maybe that was impetus to change wheels and... All the rest of it. Who knows? We, we don't know. So uh, it could be very interesting. But if you've got any thoughts or opinions on this chapter, you can message us on thelazybookclub at gmail.com. Or if you've got any deductions for you to deduce, you could do so on Twitter. And our handle is at lazybookclubpod. Yeah, you can contribute to our ever-growing Instagram wall of threads and clues <laughs> yarn things at lazybookclubpod. We're also on Patreon, which means that for the very low fee of $3 a month, you get an extra episode and you get to watch the videos of these episodes. And also I cut the pictures in. So if you're wanting to see the evidence, you'll get to see it even easier with the story if you subscribe to that. And we're also on TikTok at lazy book club pod on TikTok, where you'll see a few little videos, few little one minute videos of again the call and what i kind of put up there as well so next week have we got a chapter title just so we can kind of see where we're going maybe there is a chapter title yeah do you want to know what it is yeah please chapter five is entitled it is strychnine isn't it oh okay oh, so there oh. we go yeah, no, a poison. it's different than i said Woo-hoo. i said something to do with natural poison uh, yeah the strychnine garden path was by hastings 
And as we've found out from this chapter, he has a tendency to focus on things that aren't necessarily important. So he's he's probably caused this misdirect right from the off. And Poro is going to be like, she was shot. (laughs) (laughs) He does not know who has done this. (laughs) Only only Poirot will know who has done this. Oh, well, there you go. So you have to tune in next week to find out if it actually was strychnine poisoning or if it was something else that killed Mrs. Inglethorpe. (gasps) We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.